Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the soloist mindset. Yes. So this is fun. I guess you sent out an email earlier in the week that totally polarized the community. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I would take it that far, but yeah, it it was last week Uh and it was, um, you know, the five mindsets for a soloist to reach what I called their pinnacle. And the only reason I called it that is because everybody defines their version of success differently. Mm-hmm. But it's I, I've seen consistently these five mindsets that the people that are at the very top of their game, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're um, working the right amount, and right is in quotes because that's different for everybody. They're working the right amount. They've made the how much time I work and how many... Uh, how much money I make trade off so that they have enough, they have the flexibility that they want, whether that's in the work that they do or where and when they do it. They've achieved from any reasonable measure from the outside looking in, they've achieved this soloist nirvana. (laughs) So there's the title. Um, Okay. Actually, I like that better. Soloist nirvana. (laughs) So I love me a list. So, um, where do you want to just start at the top or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. So the, the first one was, um, is basically to follow your North star that you have a vision that guides your work and your life. And both of those are equally important. Okay. And, and this is sort of, is this something that you think people start out with and it helps them all along the way? Or is it something that's, that they kind of, you know, once they get to a certain stage, they're like, geez, uh, I'm, I don't know, pretty comfortable and maybe not finding as much meaning in my work and start to introspect a little more and realize that there's this thing that's been driving them subconsciously or what's... Oh, Ooh, that's so juicy. So <laughs> I, I'll be curious for what you've seen too, but typically almost nobody starts with the vision. It, or if they do, the vision is, I don't ever want to work for the man again, right? right? It's, I don't want to go back inside. I will do anything. I will sell hot dogs mm-hmm. so that I don't have to go back inside. And then typically, this is just typical, but then over time, they start to see, hmm, I like this kind of client. I don't like that kind of client. I'm intrigued to know more about this particular subject matter. Eh, you know, I've kind of done with this one. Right. And it's this, this journey of discovery, Right. Yep. That's the, that's what I see most often. And even the people I've worked with who've said, you know, they've come from a, you know, a, an illustrious corporate career and then they decide to try consulting. I've had so many of those people say, nope, don't have a vision. The vision is I just want out. I don't need a vision. Don't want a vision. I just don't want that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, a year, two years, three years, they've got a vision. <laughs> <laughs> and do you... In, in the sort of inventory of people that you're thinking of, is the vision about an impact or is it about a, I don't know, lifestyle? Is it more central oh, focused or is it, are they all like externally focused? It's, it's other focused. It's, it's something bigger than yourself. And, and a lot of times part of the vision is how you want to live your life. Right. I want to be home for my kids when they're in this age or I want to be available for my aging parent. You know, so there's that. But the big North Star is this slice of audience that they're serving. And it's like they can't get them out of their head. They're Mm -hmm. always thinking about how can I make their lives better? Like, what could I do for them that would be of value? Yep. 
it's that it's that vision and it's not that the individual piece isn't important it absolutely is that's going to help you you know design boundaries about what you will and won't do right but it's it's really focused on something bigger than ourselves yeah and the the thing with the self oriented goals the me goals I find they don't give you much direction. There's there's sort of like a hundred ways you could reach these goals. So it's important to have them so you know when you have enough or plenty or uh, when you're moving in the right direction or what to say no to. It's super important to have those, but they just don't. It don't help you decide what to do. They might yeah. they they help you decide what not to do, but there's still a lot left over where you could reach these personal goals in dozens and dozens and dozens of ways. So having <laughs> something outside helps focus. I think in your decision making. Yeah, and and plus you have lots of ways to do that including going back and being an employee. I mean, being uh-huh. a soloist or having a business isn't for everybody. Like there's no shame if this is not the life for you. Right. But it does get immeasurably easier if you've got a north star that you're shooting for. Right. I was actually talking to someone yesterday who's had a a, uh, a very interesting path including uh going back and forth in-house, out on his own, in-house, out on his own, in-house, out on his own, right? Because he knows what he wants to do. And so everything's just sort of a tactical or sort of strategic decision to go in-house at this company because it will further the bigger picture, which is not something I would normally consider. And I'm sure he, I don't know this, but I'm sure he did it very much on his own terms. Even when he was air quotes in-house, it was, you know, digital nomad, remote jammies type work. But, um, uh, but yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, that's, I, it's not something I would probably ever consider. I can, I feel like I'm totally unemployable at this point, but, <laughs> but it, it's, I think that's a, um, an extreme example of, of having the bigger picture and then doing whatever that doesn't violate, you know, his personal values or just, uh, lifestyle goals and, uh, but still moves the ball down the field in a direction. That's kind of like the beauty of a, a mission or a vision is that it's it gives you something to work toward, you spiral, spiral toward or squiggle toward, but at least you're going in the right direction, more or less, over time. Well, and I could really see that with consulting. Like if you came out of a consult, like a big consulting firm, that, mm-hmm. I have seen people like that who've gone back and forth because sometimes it's so much easier to do the work you want inside a big name brand organization. Like if what you wanted to do was you wanted to do, um, you know, mergers, acquisitions and spinoffs, you know, that's what I did once upon a time. It's really hard to do as a soloist. You have to have a certain kind of reputation and relationships and a certain kind of authority to be able to do that. So there's certain areas of expertise where I think I could see that in consulting. Yeah. Yep. And one, since since I brought it up, one of the interesting things that he he did in this model was uh, part of his employment agreements. He made sure because he knew it was a means to an end, and he he made sure to retain all intellectual property rights to anything he created while he was there, mm. so that it it so that everything he did that while he was there would continue to you know in, increase the size of the snowball he was now doing on the side. You know what I mean? So like yep. he had the, he had the big picture, and he made sure that the that the employment was not going to screw up the overall thrust uh, or his momentum. I just love the strategic approach to that. And sidebar: always have a good contract lawyer when you're doing these <laughs> kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
one one thing I notice, I I probably have I can't think of an example right now of someone who came to me with like I want to make the world a better place in this particular way. Well, I can I can a cup maybe a couple. It's pretty rare when somebody comes across my radar for like private coaching. They generally are kind of like look. I'm overworked or I'm stuck at this. I'm not over, I'm either overworked. I'm doing great, but I'm working too much. I'm doing great financially, but I'm working too much or I'm doing fine financially. I've been cruising along at a a respectable altitude, but I've been stuck here for five years and I have tried things to break through the ceiling and nothing's worked. So I'm looking for expert assistance. So those kind of the two things. And normally mission's not there. It's more focused on their their lifestyle goals, their income goals, their um, amount of time that they want to work, and uh, or some in some cases if they have employees, like the level of craziness with the employees, and uh, you know it's just there's just like something's not right, and they're feeling stuck. Um, but I do see a fair number of people who come along and they're like, you know, there's some kind of expertise based business. They're like good at something. They've got this skill, and they and and the mission isn't explicit, but it starts to reveal itself in the clients that they choose to work with. So they've got a really specific target market. And, you know, it'll be, it's pretty common for people to come for me to meet people that are like, I only want to help companies working on curing cancer or climate change, or at least mission driven, or um, trying to, uh, you know, build green businesses. And they've got some sort of they're sort of subscribed to, to, I think, a larger social mission. It's not like it's not something specific to them. It's like they're they want to participate in this larger mission to like do something positive, you know, reverse climate change, let's say. And and that's that's uh, that's useful. That's very useful because, like I said before, it helps you know who to say no, who and what to say no to. If someone comes along and they're like they're like, oh, you know, I want you to work. Uh, hello, president of Exxon here. I uh, would love to have you come in and build us a, a mobile app. It's like, nope. You know, so they've they've created this kind of, they've made a decision about the kinds of companies they want to work with. And by kinds of companies, I, I don't mean vertical. I mean, like, it's really a, really a uh, psychographic, you know, that they mm-hmm. want to make the world a better place without, they want to leave the world better than they found it kind of people, which is great. And it, it, provides that same I feel like it's like it's like mission starter mission almost and then it it maybe gets more specific over time but it does help those people stand out be different from uh, their competitors or their colleagues and know who to say yes to know know who to say no to know where to find the people they want to say yes to or they want to make aware of their services it's very very helpful it just it focuses everything. It's like you know you have binoculars and you're <laughs> you're tuning in on exactly what you want. And I found I, I do get a lot of people that come to me that have a mission in their head, but that's usually not the presenting problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the presenting problem is kind of what you said. It's that in my business isn't growing fast enough, or I don't have the right pipeline. You know, those kinds of things. And when when you get clear with those binoculars on exactly what the mission is, and what's and what's the vision for yourself? Like I've worked with people that are just working flat out all the time. They're exhausted. Mm-hmm. Well, they're working with clients who aren't good fits for them. 
And when you start to say, all right, well, maybe we don't need to work with those. What? What? I, I, I don't. Oh, I don't. You're right. I don't. And so and and, you know, a lot of it is messaging and, you know, but you have to get clear first and then you can start to describe what that vision looks like for your ideal people. And that's when they glom on to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you can speak their language and all the other yeah. positioning and marketing things we talk about all the time. And the mission um, tends to come out, too, from the individual because you start to get excited about the people that you can help versus uh, drained from the people who are kind of being vampires or you're allowing them to be vampires <laughs> right, really is right, usually right. more the case. But Oops. I just stepped in my dog's ear. <laughs> I didn't very, hear a yelp. Man. I know. That was nice. That's I'm like, oh, there's amazing. a sock on the floor. Nope, that's Fig's ear. Um, so... Okay, so this is, I feel like we're getting into well-trod territory in terms of like focusing down on a target market and that sort of thing. But I think the 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 perhaps new piece of information on this one that I don't think we've talked about before is how it is not necessarily something you start out with, but it can kind of reveal itself over time when you get to a point when you're, when you have two seconds to introspect about, you know, the people that you like working with the most, the ones that energize you, maybe the... Um, if you could start to be picky, who would you choose? And, uh, and it creates a virtuous cycle because it makes your impact bigger and you could theoretically yeah. increase your fees because you're creating more value and it makes your life easier because you're fulfilled, more fulfilled by it than, you know, trying to fight off time vampires. Yeah, it's, it, it suddenly just made me think of like it's energy cubed, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, as you see all these things, it, it just keeps creating more of them and more mm -hmm. energy. It energizes you. It energizes your clients. It energizes the audience, the broader audience. Right. And it's, yeah, it's it's exciting. And it just feels like when it starts to click, it feels like magic. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So bro, beat the dead horse on North Star. So what'd you get for... <laughs> Number two. Well, number two is to think like an investor. And I think the, the reason I put that in there is because people who are at the very pinnacle of this expertise soloist life, they look at every decision as, is this going to make me more money? Is this going to make bring me closer to where I want to be? Like, is this an investment in my future? And is it worth more than what I'm going to pay for it? So these are people who don't say, I can't spend $50,000 to do X. They say, okay, if I spend 50000 what am I going to get out of that? Right. And what's their risk around that? If I'm going to spend fifty and I'm going to get two hundred, okay, how long will it take me? How likely is it that I'm going to get there? What's the risk? Those are all things that an investor, like when you're buying a stock, for example, or you're buying a company, a business, those are things that you think about. You don't mm -hmm. just go, nope, fifty thousand, too expensive, not going to do it, <laughs> because that's a poverty mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you'll if you view start it as a cost. Yeah. And if you're an investor, and I'm assuming you're not like the kind of investor that goes out and borrows money to, to put on mm -hmm. stocks, you're not, let's assume you're not borrowing money that you don't have, but you're, you're looking at what are the resources I have and how can I improve the lot of my business and myself? And you make the decisions that way versus this arbitrary thing in your head. And, it, and here's the test. If you look at something and you go, oh, boy, that would just have an amazing impact on my business. And you go, nope, can't afford it. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> 
Now, that doesn't mean there isn't an alternative to that 50,000 that's maybe 20,000 that is every bit as good. That, But the point is that you don't just go, nope, I can't afford it. That is poverty thinking, and it's mm-hmm. really hard to get ahead if you're not taking any risk. Yeah, right. So what? how do you calculate the like so like the the risk really is the likelihood of the desired outcome coming to fruition mm-hmm. right so like so if you're going to spend 50,000 to get you man i i i almost want to just point people to like Annie Duke's book thinking in bets because this is exactly the topic yeah. of that book uh which well i i am pointing you to that book it's one of my favorites of all time so definitely check out that book but the the idea of Look, it's a bet. You're making a bet. And if you're not a gambler, then it's probably you're probably going to be pretty risk averse. So you want to de-risk the decision as much as possible. And uh, you know, and that's very much what the book is about. But if you think about if if you think about the taking sort of staged bets, I've heard the term used before, but if you have a bunch of if you're making a lot of s- small bets like where no one bet like if, let's let's forget about the fifty thousand because that might sound like a lot to people. But if you if you're yeah. making small a lot of small bets, you know, thousand here, five thousand there, and you're putting it into these things that have a reasonable likelihood of at least getting breaking even. In other words, you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not betting the farm mm-hmm. any, anywhere, yeah. and the potential upside is really high. So if you can find things to bet on where the risk of getting of losing the money like the the only really risk is like losing all the money so it was a waste of the thousand dollars it was a waste of the five thousand it was a waste of the fifty thousand so if you if you're betting on things that you believe have a reasonable likelihood of at least being worth it and not losing the money but also have an incredibly high upside or the highest possible upside that that you could find then eventually one of them is going to hit right because you can keep playing you yep. can keep playing the game. And this is this is how I mean this is how VCs think, where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna bet a maybe not trivial amount of money, but an amount of money that I can afford to lose on a hundred of these moonshot attempts and one of them's gonna hit. And if it's a hundred X you know, in perpetuity, then that's the you know, that's that game. And that's not my style like that VC style is not my style at all, but but um, it does. It's the same kind of thinking in your own business, where you want to make bets that have potentially really high upside, where the the money that you're putting at risk, and perhaps the time you're putting at risk, is not uh, not potentially an existential threat. Yeah, I think part of the challenge is like when you're an investor, like in the stock market, you probably do some research. And you decide what you think an individual stock is going to do in a period of time. And then you think about, well, what's going to happen in the market? And what's what's going to happen with the economy? And what's going to happen overseas? And so you, you think about all those kinds of things. When you're making investments in your business, it's not always easily quantifiable. Sometimes it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you you learn a skill, like I really need some PR, so I'm going to take a course and I'm going to spend $500 or $2,000 on a course and I'm going to learn this and I'm going to do my own PR, okay? So that's, you know, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But it sometimes, and, and this is why I like this idea of having a lot of little bets because it builds your confidence. You start to say, oh, okay, my batting average is pretty good. You know, I bought the PR course and I did the work. 
because that's, you know, if you're lazy, maybe you wouldn't do the work. So I did the work and this was pretty good. I think it could have been better if maybe it was a different type of course or if it had a group with it. I mean, you you know, you can make your critique, but you made what was a good decision for you and you followed through. And then when you do that, so the next time, instead of 500 or 2,000, maybe it's 5,000. And so you, you pause more because that feels, you know, more than twice as big. Mm-hmm. And you go through that kind of same analysis, like what do I have to do to make this worth at least what I'm paying for and better yet, what I'm paying for it plus the value of my time in doing this, like the opportunity cost that I lose by doing this and not something else. Right. And yeah. all of those things, those are signs that you're thinking about your business like an investor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, the one that, like, it's just to give people a couple of more examples. So the, I, I really like the idea of the core of the investing in the course. Uh, and it reminds me, like, you could take the time and money, mostly time, to create a course, right? So everyone listening mm-hmm. is an expert at something. They're like really good at whatever the, the, your craft is. And and maybe do exclusively uh, services, you know, like, like just service work, maybe productized services, maybe projects, whatever. And the idea of either, either writing a book or creating a, a video course or some kind of self-paced course, something that sells while you sleep, a real product is that's the kind of that is a another way to think about instead of really i mean there could be some financial investment maybe you spend anywhere from a thousand to twenty thousand dollars on production of like a self-published book or something like that Uh, but you can have with a product you can have a real hit where you could just like well i'm going to release a book a year and you know uh, and maybe uh, a couple of courses to go with the book and that'd be a, a significant time investment but it's not it doesn't need to be ginormous. Um, and as you build this confidence, like you're saying, you can do something MVP, you know, my software, my software roots showing through. It's like I would do like do something basic, <laughs> test it with a tweet like we've talked about in the past, see if there's any interest, do the course, the course worked, then okay, do a V2, get some feedback from the people and then turn it into a book. And then maybe the book is really useful. That catches on. And to me, those, I mean, this is my personal bias. I think, I think products are a great way to invest in creating products is a great way to invest in your business, but it could be just, it, it could be that instead of the time, I've got a couple of students doing this right now, whether they are spending a, a fair amount of money to self-publish by getting multiple editors and, and designers to lay out the interior of the book. And it's going to be hardcover and like consultants to help them like, get it onto KDP so they don't have to worry about all that stuff. They're basically outsourcing everything possible. And so it's less of a time investment, more of a money investment, depending on which resource you have more of. But that's, to me, that's a classic example of an investment in the business is especially writing books. But I think I see, I I cannot separate the idea of a workshop as a, a test ground, testing ground for a book. So to me, those things kind of go together. But, uh, yeah, well, let's, I think... let's pick on that book for a second and then we can move into the next one because it's related. But on, on the book, when, when you think about writing a book like an investor, you're looking at what is this, what do I have to do to leverage this book to get me where I want to go? So it's not just that you're writing the book and outsourcing all of the production of it. You're also 
marketing it. You are figuring out who is going to want, who do you want to read this book? Who's the book for? How are you going to do that? How can you connect with people so that you don't wind up six months later, right? Oh, here's the book and there's nobody to receive it. There's nobody to read it, right? But an investor, investor thinking will say, okay, I'm, I'm committed to write the book for these five reasons and I'm going to do it. It's a great investment. And I also have to figure out the marketing end of that book. So I have to, even though I don't want to think about that, I know I have to, and I'm going to start doing that now. That, that would be an example of investor thinking around a book. Right. Instead of an ego driven, I want to be an author of a book with this title. Well, it's, it's not even that it's, there's a lot of people that have so much to say and, but they're so focused on the creative act of the book Mm-hmm. That they forget, yes, the book has to be good, but somebody also has to read it. <laughs> so, you know, you want to have a plan around that and, you know, and invest some time and energy in figuring that out. Mm. You know, it's like yeah, if you create a business, you know, you can't just let it sit there in obscurity. You have to tell people about it. Right. It reminds me a little bit of having the why conversation with yourself about what what is the desired outcome of this investment whether it's time or money or both and it's like what 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 would satisfy me and like Mm -hmm. think through what what the desired outcomes are once the book is live published what is the desired outcome a year from now from this investment and like what do how likely do i think that is to happen like how is it worth the bet so if i only have to bet 10 bucks to win you know if i only have to bet a dollar to win a billion uh, I mean, I don't play the lottery, but I guess that's the similar. <laughs> it's yeah, like you, kind of you could play it every day if you wanted to and not air quotes, go out of business. And if you ever hit, it would be well worth it. It'd be like a gigantic return investment. But the odds are so low that it probably doesn't make sense. So for something like a book, you know, the, the upside's not going to be as high as hitting the lottery, but the odds are a lot higher that you can get some kind of positive return. And there, And it's also not binary. So you can get some return, maybe it's higher than you wanted or expected, or maybe it's a little lower than you expected, but it still was worth doing. So it threw off some kind of, air quotes, profit. Like you're glad you did it for reasons. Right. You're, you're more happy that you did it than not. Maybe you're way happier than that you did it than not. Um, anyway, okay. So I, I like this one. I've, I've never sort of applied that kind of invest in your business kind of thinking to perhaps the creation of a product, but that's that is how I feel about it. Well, yeah, and I think everybody thinks about investing when it comes to like starting a classic entrepreneurial business, but I think people don't think about it with solo expertise firms because, mm-hmm. well, it's just, it's all in my head. Like, yeah. what, what do I, I'm not going to go out and get a VC to invest $3 million in me. So it's still, but having that thinking is a real differentiator between people who've, you know, made it in quotes and people who are still like working their way up the mountain. Mm-hmm. But the reason I said the next one is kind of related is that um, the third one is that you're willing to experiment even when it feels risky or vulnerable. Mm. And so the experimentation, I think, is, you know, that's kind of tied to the investor piece. But the risky and vulnerable piece, it's totally a mindset shift. Yeah. And that yep. first time you put yourself out there, oh, you just think, oh, I feel so naked and vulnerable right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Ris- it Risky. So I, I would categorize this as a different kind of risk. It's more fear than risk. It's like it's irrational 
I, I think what you're talking about is this sort of irrational feel that fear that like everyone's going to hate me type of thing. It's less or, or like this well, it's is. Bo- I think it's both. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the rational fear is, um, you know, I'm going to experiment with this and I spent a bunch of money on it and it's going to crash. And that's mm-hmm. a rational fear, right? The, and I, I don't want to say the other one is irrational. It's just, it feels very personal and very in your head. It's all about you and it's not about the rest of the world, mm-hmm. right? What, what happens if I put this out there? Everybody's going to think I'm stupid. Yeah. Everybody's going to see my public failure. <laughs> the critics are going to pour on me. I right, mean, right. that's what, that's the, the talk inside your head. Right. And so, yeah, the people that are really good at this, it's not that they don't still have those little voices in their heads, but they act anyway. Yeah. Definition of courage. Yeah. Act in the face of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's it's not about, I mean, you may or may not have the fear, but regardless, you need to act anyway. So and I totally agree with this one. Um, it's, it's just it's just so easy to find people that were, that are like, I should have done this two years ago. I should have done this five years ago. And, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, they're just, they're sort of the, the pain of whatever their situation is creeps up and creeps up, and creeps up and finally exceeds the pain of imagining that, you know, you, for, you forgot to get dressed before you went to school, <laughs> that like dream. <laughs> so what, what help, if you're counseling someone, like how did do, how does I don't know. I honestly do not know how this gets better. You know uh, what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I have yeah. no I have no tricks up my sleeve for like helping someone other than just being like, you know, just talking them off the ledge, which sometimes does work. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. that's all somebody needs. Right. Well, first of all, we are not psychologists or <laughs> psychiatrists. <for> sure. <laughs> But yeah, I think part of it is that is recognizing without veering into therapeutic stuff is recognizing that there's some natural fears here that every human being has these fears like the, 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 you know, the zebra that lifts itself up out of the herd gets slayed by a lion. (laughs) Right. So there's like it's there's so many reasons why this is in our makeup. And so I find that the solution usually is to take a small step. Well, yeah. there's actually, there's two things. First is, if they have a vision that's bigger than themselves, most people are more willing to take a risk for that. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So if it's, I it's am helping, exactly, I am helping these this person or this group of people, and so I am willing to risk looking like a fool mm-hmm. in order to be able to do that. So you're working for somebody, somebody else, something bigger than yourself. That mm-hmm. tends to help a lot. And then the other is to just try little things. And it could be as simple as, you know, people didn't want to be on Twitter because, oh, you pre-Musk, but because, you know, Twitter's mean and there's all these people. And, and well, yeah, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. So, all right, let's put up a Twitter profile. Now let's try a tweet. <laughs> Whoa, nobody, nobody, you know, crashed, right? The world didn't crash. It's You just have to keep trying, you know, the next thing and, and pushing ourselves because it's that experimentation. I mean, we just don't get it right the first time. Right. We just don't. And so the smaller the risk, kind of back to the investment analogy, the smaller the risk, the easier it is to experiment and tell yourself, oh, well, I could do that. That's going to take an hour of my time. And, you know, maybe I'm going to like not sleep as well tonight, but I I can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you do that and then you do the next one that is maybe 
requires you to put some money at risk or you have to hire a designer to package this product that you're creating for yourself. Mm. It's it's experimenting and it's it is truly a muscle because you're going to feel the success with the wins and it's not that you won't feel the losses but if you've got some you know some history of small successes it sustains you mm. and you can handle the one that doesn't go well okay you you just triggered a um, another thought but that's super helpful you know like like okay if this if this big hairy audacious thing scares you maybe try a smaller less hairy audacious mm-hmm. thing and build up that muscle another thing that it, you just reminded me of when you were saying that was was um people raising their prices and having to announce that to their existing clients and yeah and the amount of fear around that is high and i was mm-hmm. just i was just ta- chatting with someone who has their own community of people who uh, who chronically under undercharge and she was saying how um the success stories of the group so they're all you know it's a big group of people in like a slack room or something and and you know it's like okay we're gonna this is this is a thing people here people like us do things like this and one of the things we do is we uh we we do not undercharge right so so okay everybody we're gonna raise our prices january one and then you know first person says oh i raised my prices 40 percent, and absolutely no one pushed back and so everyone kind of celebrates that in the in, so I like I think the idea of community you could probably accelerate the process of the experimentation and building the muscle if you're surrounded by a community of people who are feeling the same thing at, you know the other zebras and yeah. they somebody sticks their head up nothing happens another one sticks their head up nothing happens and then all of a sudden you know people are starting to like really get a better view of the world from up here it's like much nicer <laughs> <laughs> not smelling zebra butt all day <laughs> So that, I like that, that, that is very helpful for me. I'm going to remember that for future reference in case it comes up. That's a good exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's a process climbing up that mountain. Mm-hmm. And cool. sometimes, you know, there's a, there's a little slide, <laughs> um, but you know, you're not going to fall off. That's kind right. of the point. Yeah. That's what I was, what's going to happen. You get hit by lightning. I know. I'm thinking I should not use the mountain metaphor just because I like, I really don't like heights. Yeah. <laughs> So, but it it is it it kind of gets you the picture. Yeah. So so the the next one is is sort of related to all of these, but it's that you know your genius zone and you put yourself there. So it's sometimes people will say, well, I'm not really sure because I like to do this and I like to do that. But you you know it, it's not hard to figure out what things really jazz you, and which things you're like, I just don't want to do this particular thing anymore. And even mm-hmm. if you've loved it for years, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I've been there, done that. I, I want to explore yeah. this thing over here. It's finding that that place and then having the courage to align your business around that. And I think, you know, you're a great example of that, actually, Jonathan. Because mm-hmm. we, you know, we joke about how few hours a week you work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you, you're you're not there's certain things that you won't do. Like you're not gonna hire employees. No. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, you're you're not going to hire people for certain things that you can do yourself, even if you, even if somewhere in your head you know, yeah, it's probably more efficient. But no, I don't want to do that. I want it. I want it the way I want it. That's finding your genius zone and then kind of burrowing in, 
And what's cool about that is in the burrowing in process, you start to repel the people that are not good fits for you naturally, whether it's because of uh, content that you're producing, or maybe it's the sales conversations that you have and you realize, no, I don't want to be in your company's slack room with 50 people talking (laughs) about this project we're doing. That's not for me, Uh, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And so then you start to align your business with that. And, you know, and again, it's a process because you'll find that the more you get into your genius zone, the more your ideal people want you. Like the more they'll consume your stuff, the more they'll want to hire you or, or buy your services or products. It, right. Because it's a, there's a confidence and comfort that they sense. Right. Yeah. You, it, it's, like, it's like you put on the clothes that are comfortable, not, not these uncomfortable clothes. Or like, um, what's another way to, I, I think, I'm thinking of, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the, my burrow, right, that I've burrowed into. And like, what are the, what are the. How did I decide which things are the things I'm going to do? Because I've certainly used to love coding. like loved coding. Loved it. I would code every waking hour. And then after a while, it's just like, <laughs> I don't love this anymore. Like, it's just not fun. And I moved into what I'm doing now. So like, that that reminded me of that. It's like, wow, you you can re- like playing guitar. I mean, 18 hours a day. I, I mm-hmm. gave myself carpal tunnel in college, like just playing so much, just practicing so much. Loved it. But they just change, it can change over time. So that's one, that's one thing. But the other thing is knowing what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do, just speaking for myself, is 100% I, my, my decision. It's like a dowsing rod. I, my decision about whether I'm not I'm going to continue to do it or not do it or automate it or outsource it, 100% is how I feel when I'm doing it. That's, that is it. Mm-hmm. It's not how effective it is or what guru said you should do this and TikTok that and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's it's like, do I like doing this? Is this fun? It, would I keep doing it? Like I have to stop because it's time for dinner and I, I'd rather keep doing it. Then those are the things I'm like, okay, here's this collection of things that currently at this stage of life, I could just do all day long. Just love it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then anything else either is going to not get done or it's going to get done by I'm going to outsource it or I'm going to have a robot do it. It's like those are the those are the three options. <laughs> and so then it becomes a little bit of a puzzle. It's like, OK, how can I remove, you know, because like last year I removed some things that brought in like 50 percent of my income. So, OK, how do I replace that if I'm going to like, what do I do about that? If those things are just not the best use of my time and I should, really should be doing something that's more high scale leverage type of thing what what does that look like so it becomes this i think fun puzzle to to work on it's Uh, also investor thinking sidebar sure right it's yeah you're putting something at risk in order for to have a a different kind of reward different kinds of outcomes so yeah i mean the the point i'm making uh, poorly is that i don't think there's another metric for which things you do and don't than than like how you feel when you're doing them it's like purely i think that's the the only thing it's like does this energize me am i having fun and if there's stuff that definitely absolutely has to get done like your taxes or something like that where the penalty is just too severe that you might as well do it then you know then that stuff you're going to outsource and then there's this big category of stuff and i have i have like a i can think of a half a dozen things that i really think should be done but i hate doing so then there's, but there's this like, well, the smart thing to do would be to get a VA to do them. 
but I don't want a VA. So like, all right, what do I do here? And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's like a process that I, I go through. I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? Can I not do this? Can I completely and, and blow off yeah, social media, see, for example? I just want to make the, the point for the listeners. So your genius zone is I don't want to have to deal with somebody in my head all day. Mm-hmm. So what can I do instead to do these five or six other things? Right. That's, that's really thinking about genius zone is making those kinds of decisions and trade-offs. And right. yeah, and I won't say everybody gets to work in their genius zone 100% every day because there's life, you know, mm-hmm. but, but that's the goal. That's the goal. Right. Is how can I, if you're asking yourself that question on a regular basis, how can I do more of what I love and less of what I don't? Yeah, that's it. Right. And how do you know what you love? Because you love it. <laughs> it's like it feel, the way yeah. it feels. Well, and sometimes it's more about flow. There's a great book on this topic. I cannot pronounce his name. Flow. Um, but part of that is sometimes the flow is you're solving big problems. So in the moment, it's hard. It's not that it's fun necessarily, but you're so engrossed in the problem that you lose sense of time. And, yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah, and so that's when you're, especially if the kind of work you do is solving big problems. I know, I think a lot of our listeners are doing things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's another clue. So it's not just that it, it's fun, but that it feels challenging in a good way is another is another way to yeah, think about it. That's an important distinction because I, I don't, I probably don't notice how I'm feeling while I'm doing it. But when I'm done, I'm like, oh, that was fun. Mm. You know what I mean? It's because it, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like I'm in the zone. So like stuff that gets me in the zone, which I feel like people understand what that concept is. And then I'm done. I'm like, I'm like, oh, that was like karate. Like I, I've got karate tonight and it like affects my schedule the entire day. I'm like thinking, oh, I got to go to karate, I got to drive, I got to change. I got to make sure my geese clean. But then what is the second I'm there, I'm like, thank God I came. And, and then it'll be hard for guaranteed for sure. It's going to be hard the whole hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then on that drive home, I'm just like, oh my God, it was so great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Or but you're it's, so proud of yourself. Like I did that with Pilates. Like uh, I would be looking at that clock because the last 15 minutes are freaking excruciating. <laughs> and then when I'm done, I'm like, yeah, I yeah. did it. I feel good. <laughs> yeah. But for, for me, for me, it's like time stops. I could, you know, it, it could have been two hours. It could have been 10 minutes. I don't, I don't even know. It's just total the classic flow thing that getting in the zone. It's just like time's time mm-hmm. isn't a thing. And I'm super focused and I'm I'm probably trying to perfect something or I'm working on something that feels worthwhile. And then when I'm done, I've, it feels like progress was made versus a day where like, oh, I don't know. Um, oh, here's a great example. Like someone stole my credit card number and I spent like three hours mm. with email and tracking it down and being on hold with Amex and uh, like yeah. after that's over, I mean, that's an extreme example, but you know, there, there are, I can think back to when I did client work that felt exactly like dealing with like a credit card company or, you know, God forbid you have to call your wireless carrier and get something fixed. <sighs> it's just torture. Yeah. And and at the yeah. end, you're just like, that was a waste of an hour of my life that I will not get back, mm-hmm. you know? So, so you're, you're right to clarify that because it's not like... I'm giggling with glee the entire time I'm, you know, writing my daily email or, or sweating my way through a karate class. 
But at the end, I'm just like, I feel energized. I feel better. I feel like, oh, that was that yeah. actually was great. Yeah, because a lot of us, we're doing hard things and you don't always see the outcome in five minutes or an hour or five hours. So it's it's you have to find that way that where you know that you're you're being challenged in a good way. Mm-hmm. It's like for me, it's like when I'm trying to do something that's sort of a puzzle like not literally a puzzle, but like I'm trying to figure out like why these numbers don't work. Like why does it not work? Or why is the modem going crazy? And <laughs> and then when I figure it out, I'm kind of proud of myself. I don't like doing it, but I'm kind of, I was like, oh yeah. That's not the best example because fixing a modem is not my genius zone. <laughs> <laughs> Climbing under a desk. Yeah, but I know like when I was working on my book, I just, uh, that just flowed in a way that was so amazing. It was like, I think it was um, Stephen Pressfield who talked about like tapping into the muses. Mm-hmm. And it, it was amazing, but it was hard, but it was great. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, I would totally do it again. The editing part, not so much fun. But <laughs> um, yeah, that first draft was, it, creating that was amazing. Cool. Well, so. Um, so I'm looking at the at the clock. So let's move on to the last one, Agreed. which probably seems like, a, well, of course, but is that you create circles of support. And when I say support, I mean, it's from, you know, allies, like industry allies to service providers to what I decided to call your home front partners. Okay. And the reason I added that is there's a lot of people that feel guilty whenever they hire people to support them at home. They're like, oh, I can't have a babysitter or a nanny. Oh, that means I'm not a good mom or I'm not a good dad. Or I've got to mow my own lawn or I'm not a real man. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, people totally. have these things like, they, and they may not be saying that exactly, but it's, it's, it's in their it's in their heads and this idea is that we all need circles of support and we need them in multiple places and in multiple ways and I, I I like to think of it as that these are the people or the systems and structures that support our working in our genius zone right. so if you hate to cook and 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 you're let's say you have a spouse and some kids, your spouse hates to cook. Well, guess what? Outsource that, mm-hmm. you know, figure out a way so that you don't have to cook or that you share it a couple nights a week, you know, figure that out and and spend that time doing something else. Spend it with your kids, spend it with something with your business. It's finding those, those people and systems and structures that will support you so that you can spend the maximum amount of time in your genius zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will just second that point. You know, there's just lots of uh, lots of that. I'm a bad mom, or um, I'm not a real man if I don't, you know, have a John Deere lawnmower. You know, out there riding it around, or like, you know, embarrassed that there's landscapers in their yard or whatever. It's it's so <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, it's so true. And it's like, and in, in in the every January when I run ten day system challenge, it's. I think I promote it, or at least people perceive that it's going to be about creating systems in your business, and and it is. But for people like us, there's no reason to limit it to just your business because your time is your time. So you know whether it's so there so there are a lot of examples of like you said, you know, you know, it could be getting a landscaper so you don't have to spend the weekend raking leaves, or it could be getting a bookkeeper because you really it's doing your own taxes might not be the best use of your time, you know, especially if you hate mm-hmm. it. So. Yeah, so I, I think for for folks like us, it does extend to 
really everything, all the time that you spend. And I think there's even genius. Yeah, I, I would argue that there's even genius zone stuff in my personal life that gives me that same flow and like energy, energized yeah. feeling. Well, I mean, karate yeah. is an example. Um, yeah. it, more and more it's becoming like building, building like woodworking stuff around that simple stuff around the house is becoming like a real meditation for me. But like, I don't know, cleaning up after the dogs, not so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> we used to have a guy that came and, and uh, but he went out. I was like, dude, you should be charging more. You're going to go out of business and then I'm going to have to pick this up, <laughs> which is exactly what happened. Well, it's most people have, you know, some kind of a, I'm going to call it a creative outlet, but it doesn't have to be what we classically think of as creative, right? So mm-hmm. I'm always, you know, working on our house. Like what, what do I, you know, it's still a work in progress. There's some things I want to do. So I'm always looking at, well, what about this console for the living room? What about that um, piece of art? Like I'm always like filling my head with that because I just love it, you know, for the same reason I go to museums and go to watch dance and theater. So it's finding what those things are. For some people, it might be coding. Like maybe you were a coder and now you're doing something else, but you're like, oh, you know, I kind of want to do this in my spare time. Or maybe you you, know, you teach your kids how to code or yeah. you go and, and do some kind of community service in, in your town and you're teaching a skill. So it's finding, you know, those other things that make you feel, you know, just happy and, and good. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be about serving somebody else. It can just be about serving yourself. <laughs> exactly. D- mic drop. <laughs> cool. So I well, I think, you know, when we're in this kind of business, we do serve. And I think it's, it's, it's absolutely an important mindset that we are serving. I mean, you know, going back to having a North Star, having a vision. But we also have to take care of ourselves because, you know, we deserve to have a great life and to enjoy ourselves. This is not about doing things that we hate for people we don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. If you have clients from hell, it's like take a step back. It's not it's not a necessary condition. All right, folks. Well, let us know what you think. Maybe we're completely off base. You know how to find us. But that is it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.